If tomorrow starts without me, there's something you should know. While I hold you close, never let you go. Hello and welcome to The Broken Pack, a podcast focused on giving adult survivors of sibling loss a platform to share their stories and to be heard, something that many sibling loss survivors state that they never have had. Sibling loss is misunderstood. The Broken Pack exists to change that and to support survivors. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Dean. Today, in our first episode, I talk with Dr. Jen Kilgore, a sister, a mom, a daughter, a wife, a naturopathic doctor, and a sibling loss survivor. You will hear her story of loss, her challenges, where she is on her healing journey, and a little about her late brother, Jimmy. We recorded this interview late in the summer of last year, but today, the release date, January 11th, is Jimmy's birthday, which is undoubtedly a difficult day for Jen and all of their family. So sending warm thoughts and love to them. Here's my conversation with her. Thanks for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor. I have a a clinic in Nashua, New Hampshire, and my husband is mostly home with my kids right now. His name is David, and we have two sons, Gabriel and Gavin. Gavin is three, just three in a few months, and Gabriel is about to turn five. A whole lot going on at the moment, but (laughs) all exciting. Awesome. As you know, we're here to talk about, unfortunately, sibling loss, which you and I have both experienced. But today I wanted to hear your story. Before we get there, though, what would you want me and our listeners to know about your brother before we talk about the loss? My brother was the kind of person that when he was diagnosed, the the doctor that had to come in to tell him they had found a tumor in his heart just was out of nowhere and she came in and when she finished explaining what was going on very first words out of his mouth were that must have been really hard for you to come in here and tell me that and this is a like a 32 year old kid Mm -hmm. that's how jimmy was his whole life he thought of everybody else before himself and Mm -hmm. His good work on this earth was to be a really amazing support for a lot of people. So even in that moment of life-changing information, he was putting the doctor first. That does say a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He struggled from the time he was young with addiction and was introduced to pretty dark side of the world very, very young. And that just came out of nowhere. And so the family helped. We all, we all helped. We were very, very close and we all participated in his recovery in different ways and different times. But he struggled for nine years before he really found his rock bottom and, and he almost died. And he was very aware of that every moment of his life after that moment and lived, he called them borrowed moments. And he grew into a carpenter and a miner. He would dig out beautiful gemstones from the earth and find rose quartz and aquamarine and spend hours on the mountains and in the rivers. He built beautiful homes and 
carved wood and he used those skills all all the way through till the end and just was very creative mm-hmm. and an artist and did build a career and had a strong recovery from his addiction and was more than 12 years clean when he was diagnosed and he stayed off pain medication until his last six months. It was a big struggle for him, actually. And he did decide to take some help after recovering from using things like that to escape pain. So he'd been on a pretty big spiritual journey throughout his lifetime. And that, that came through all the way after diagnosis and things like that. And he lived a pretty amazing life. He had a little girl before he passed. It's a part of the the whole story. So I'll wait to get too much into that. But he does have a little girl, Gwen, Gwyneth Rose. I'm very blessed to be within an hour of, and I I see her pretty regularly. He was engaged when he died, and she's still a pretty big part of the family. It sounds like you were pretty close to him. Yeah, very close. We were about two and a half years apart, and we all went through some pretty hard things together when we were young. We bonded through that, and he and I had great friendship in our young adult years. I, I felt like after his diagnosis, between between his diagnosis and his passing, he gave me a glimpse of what our relationship would have been for the next 30 years, and I got mm-hmm. to satisfy a lot of that because he was so present. Were you older or younger? I'm older. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm the oldest. He's the middle. And we have a younger sister, Julia, who's about five years younger than Okay. How's your relationship with her? Good. A little bit distant. We're very different. So we have ways that we're very close and ways that we're yeah. very distant. And probably part of the story we'll tell today, I think, too, because I do think that Jimmy passing... This changed a lot of things, and we've both had really different experiences since this passing. For sure. If you're okay with sharing whatever you feel comfortable with about the loss, here to listen and support you. Yeah, I hope it's okay if I, I start with, I was finishing medical school at the time. This is like a few months before his initial diagnosis, and I was at that point completing a doctorate. I had clinical board to sit for and a couple months to prep for that exclusively, like after graduation. It's about four days into that study. And I had my calendar up on the wall with my board study partner. And we had every day mapped out all the way until till the end when we're going to take a break and then go test. And I got a call and I, I just was literally taken out of a study session. And my brother had had some kind of incident where kind of lost control of bodily functions and had passed out. And it was out of nowhere, and he, there was no reason for it at the time. Paramedics were called, and he was taken in emergently. And they did a CT of his abdomen because he'd been vomiting and some things. And in the CT of his belly, they caught a glimpse of his heart, which is really, really abnormal. So he right away was transferred to a hospital that could work up a heart problem to figure out why the heart is so enlarged that you could see it on a CT of an abdomen where it doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And they found liters of hemorrhagic fluid around his heart. And he was, over the course of like maybe three days, diagnosed with a tumor in his right atrium. And of what we remember exactly when we found out what the tumor was, but it's an angiosarcoma of the heart. It's a very rare tumor that is it's an orphan cancer, but it is killing young men all over the world. And it's just something that you don't know about and you know about. They don't teach in medical school, even mm-hmm. it's not 
in the books or anything. And so it's um, a and pretty rare cancer. Rare cancer, very, very aggressive cancer, very aggressive cancer. Wasn't expected to live very long. So my family called to say, we, we need you to come home. We help. We got to figure out what we're all going to do. So I did. I came home. We went in and out of Boston and organized oncology visits and cardiology visits and got all the specialists on board and coordinated that needed to be and figured out what initial approaches we would take. And because I was on board, I also elicited help from a board certified oncologist in my field, both a naturopath, but he has an additional board certification for oncology. And he's right outside of Boston and Lexington. And we we went to doctor after doctor after doctor, and everyone was just really in the, the initial whirlwind of it all and not thinking very clearly. And one of the most impressing things was we went to this naturopath and he explained things so differently. And he took time in a way that was different. And it's, it's why I do what I do. But anyways, Jimmy's experience was really good. And he came out feeling like he just looked at me. He said, Jenny, I finally feel like I know what's going on with my body and I know what I want to do. And he went forward with treatment plan. And I went back to life. I, I went, I, I had been studying for board exams in the basement of a library in between all those things that were happening and just figured I can't pass my boards while life is happening. I just have to retake them. Like mm-hmm. That's a part of life, right? So I, I did and I, I got through that. And I, I honestly, that was the first time I felt a little bit of this sibling stuff too, because I felt a lot of pressure. It would be hard on them if I failed and I showed up for them. And so mm-hmm. I I got there and then I flew a lot. I, I came home often while I was opening practice and getting my, my first go at running a clinic sorted. And that was supportive. It probably wasn't enough, but it was supportive. And because we we did such a comprehensive approach and we raised a lot of money, Jimmy did do a GoFundMe and a lot of community support. And we were able to afford a lot of the things that the naturopath wanted him to do, like the extra supplementation and things insurance doesn't help with and advanced testing, which insurance doesn't help with and all kinds of things. So he actually got through, he got free and he went into remission. It was amazing. It took, mm-hmm. I want to say, I, forgive, the timeline is really, really foggy, but maybe a year, 13 months, something like that of chemo, radiation, and taking 70 different pills a day, doing all kinds of things with supplements and with very comprehensive approach. And it just shrunk and they couldn't operate on it. So it is dunculated into this nothing. And everyone was really happy with that. So he went back to life. And he was building houses with a carpenter or an architect rather that he was a carpenter for an architect that had mentored him a lot and maturing after his addiction and coming into his adulthood. And he got to put up a house on all kinds of things that fall. And around Thanksgiving, he and Carla announced that they were pregnant. It's just cool. He had done some preservation of his sperm, assuming if he got through this after radiation and things, you never know. So that was a surprise. And they were very happy. Where it's going to get hard for me to tell, but yeah, take your time. About seven weeks after that, I got pregnant. That was a big surprise. I had I've been trying for ten years without doing anything horribly aggressive. So just after the holidays, I announced I was pregnant, and at the same time. There was an insurance hiccup, like something with his mass health. We didn't make a lot of money. Neither of them did. So they were Iran state insurance, whatever. 
there was just some people. And he was being scanned every three months because, again, this is an extremely aggressive cancer. So they delayed a scan that should have been done in January to fix the insurance problem. And when they got to him in March, it looked like really bad. And a few things that happened, right? As I mentioned, he got through it. Like he, he kicked that cancerous butt right. and went back to life. And it was like $4,000 a month to do the things that insurance wouldn't cover that got him there. And that we're not, we all do fine. We're not of huge wealth. So mm-hmm. he stopped asking. Then this is, this is for me personally where I feel the biggest fail because it's where I know I lost him. Those were the months I should have pushed the hardest. And those are the months where we all should have been hemorrhaging anything we had to give. And instead, we all let him go back to life and we didn't. And so he didn't keep up with a lot of things that maybe could have kept that, that from being such a problem. But anyways, it, it just was. So how, that's how it went. And by the time he got back for his scan and figured out what was going on, and I, I'm, I'm not even sure what, what beat what. Was it the cancer that came back first or was it? damage to the lungs from the radiation because they did do radiation to the right atrium, which is quite dangerous. <laughs> and he was dealing with pericarditis and all kinds of other things. It's not like things were perfect after all of that. It's the heart. It was hard. So he started building up fluid in his lungs and his body was decompensating. So the list of medications he was on was three, four times. He called me in March and I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but it was like, he's pregnant and I'm pregnant and it was time to come. And I was out in Arizona. I don't know if I mentioned that. Like I had gone away. So I was mm-hmm. across the country while this was happening. My family's in New England. They always with where I'd, I'd been until that time. And after six years, within less than a week's time, I decided to close my practice. And I just happened to be at a point where it was okay to exit care with my current patients. And the people that needed help for a time period. My husband stayed behind, closed the clinic a little bit more slowly, gave everybody notice, and then we passed off care. And I, I took my essential with me. My sister flew out and we drove home on a weekend with me. I was five months pregnant. And I stayed with my parents until my husband got there four or five weeks later. And we reestablished our clinic and our life here in New Hampshire. And... I remember a few days after I arrived, Jimmy came to my parents' like front porch where we'll hang out and socialize a little bit. And he just had this look in his face and he's like, I feel like he got here just in time. And right away we had to figure out like he had developed a cough really bad. And at the same time, his lungs are filling up with fluid. So everyone's assuming it's one thing's another thing and this and that. He had all these heart meds they'd started. And so he was on an ACE inhibitor and ACE inhibitors cause a cough. In mm-hmm. a certain percentage of people, right? Most doctors know that. So no one considered that possibility that that's why the cough was getting so bad so quick because they just started an ACE inhibitor a month ago. So right away we caught the ACE inhibitor was, he was having a side effect. So they switched his heart meds and he stopped coughing and that made things a little bit less confusing. And it was great to be able to figure that out and help. I did attend a lot of his visits. And just to put things in perspective, my husband and I were just starting practice and that was paying the practice and our lives. Like we didn't, 
We weren't living on a lot and we didn't have the money to move. We went into debt to do that and we'd just gone into debt to open the practice and we were not in a great position. I was five months pregnant. I came to a new place. Yes, I had old business because I, I worked here before and I have people that have followed me through my education and journey. So I, I started and I, I had business right away and I was figuring out how to how to support and where my boundaries were. Because the other thing that started to happen is like he needed treatment and we have family members that know about the things I'm trained in and everyone wanted me to treat him, wanted me to give him IVs. They wanted me to do UV blood irradiation. I had just started practice. I didn't have nurses working for mm -hmm. me. I wasn't set up for any of that. I, right. yes, I trained and certified, but I hadn't even really done it. I was just starting. And uh, so I had to just navigate that. I took him to the best people I knew and I helped him navigate the care, but I didn't take a lot of it on. And then here, as I'm telling you this story, I'm like also like very aware, like what was happening for me is I was pregnant and there wasn't really much room in my life for that. And I was really having a hard time and didn't feel like I could, that was allowed. So I, I, I kept it together until about August and his daughter was born in August, August 10. And he was pretty full-time at in Boston, in the oncology unit at that point, he was, um, he was dying. No one wanted to allow or acknowledge that. Did you acknowledge that? We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Angela Dean, host of the Broken Pack podcast. If you've lost a sibling, you viscerally understand the complexity of your loss and how isolating it can feel. Sibling loss is misunderstood. And that's why I created an in-person retreat called the Sibling Grief Refuge. It's happening this August 15th through the 18th near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This retreat will include grief-focused activities and sessions curated and facilitated by compassionate grief experts, including me. It's a space where your grief, your loss, and your sibling will be honored and understood. In addition to grief discussions, education, support, and togetherness, you will be tapping into your continuing bond with your sibling through multiple activities, such as going on a photo walk or sensory exploration and mindful walks. In our remembrance ceremony, you'll have further opportunity to honor your sibling, share your story, and hear about others' siblings. For more information, visit thebrokenpack.com forward slash retreat, or just head to thebrokenpack.com and click the sibling loss retreat link in the top menu. Spaces are limited, so secure your spot today. Let's walk this path of sibling grief together. Now back to the show. I gave him permission at some point. No one was doing that either, his doctors even. I went in at one point and around that time, it was getting, it, like he couldn't get his needs met in it because everyone was in denial. He wasn't getting hospice care. He wasn't we we were making up for that. So my sis, my sister moved home from New York. I had moved from Arizona back. We were all helping my mother, my sister, and I. Just me, you know. And then Carla has a big family too. So they they their refrigerator was overfilled all the time, and we were doing everything we could. But also, she was pregnant and wanted some normalcy, and it was almost impossible. It sounds like neither of you could enjoy the pregnancy journey. It was just really hard. It was mm -hmm. just really, really hard. And I'm, I'm having this stress of I support my family. I'm, I'm, my husband were when he got here until I became so 
stressed and overwhelmed and depleted that I had to ask him to stay home and just support things full time because I I did lean into work. I I I I'm good at that. I hid there. And so Gwen came. Jimmy did get to see her born and was was very sick. And in his last weeks, he passed September 27, two days after my dad's birthday. He went in on my dad's birthday and probably was ready to die. Lungs filling with fluid constantly and mm-hmm. the drains they put in caused nerve pain that never went away. And it was very, very, very hard. He took pain medication. And for Jimmy, he had recovered from addiction. It was no one in the family, I don't think, understood that the same way. Maybe my dad and I a little bit. And I know my mom and my sister really try, but they it's it really, really hard to like he every appointment he had to say no because everyone wanted to give him things, give him things. And he just he's nope, that's not something he he set that boundary. And to give that up at the end, it just I think it it really that's really when we lost him. That's when I saw him start to transition. I knew he was he was probably not going to, there was nothing that really could, could turn it around. It was just inevitable. And I, I wanted him to have what he needed in his last days. He had 12 doctors that all have really strong opinions and they didn't coordinate very well. So we asked for a big meeting with all of them and everyone attended, everyone but his radiologist. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually ended up leading the meeting because it, it just needed to happen. And I asked them to talk to the family about the different directions that they could that we could take as far as getting him into hospice and what that could look like at different levels and just to help bridge that because the family really needed that. They were really grateful that I was there because I did a very good job at facilitating. And to me, it felt like the win I needed to be able to have my baby regardless of what was happening. And this is this is like early August. What year was this? 2017. Okay. Five years ago. And we did it. And everybody was okay. They understood. And I felt like I did what I needed to do. It was good. And not 12 hours later, the one doctor that didn't attend the meeting called with some miracle opportunity to do some new technique and undid everything. It was really inappropriate. But it happened. And everyone looked at me. (laughs) I was the one who was supposed to force him to make the decision and have the conversation about doing this procedure. I I was the one who was asked if it was the right thing. And I got really mad, to be honest. I got outwardly, like, I, I got really, really mad. That's a lot of responsibility for a family member. Yes, and I didn't agree to be that he should have done the radiation. I think that's what yeah. he killed. So I, I, I had very different opinions, but it wasn't I also had very good boundaries with my brother. It had to be what he could live with, not what I could live with. So just like I counsel my patients, that's how I did that. And at that point, it was hard because I was kind of like, I, I just felt like too hard of a question to ask. And I guess that was too hard of a question to ask. Mm-hmm. But to say no a little bit. And yet I still found myself being a bit of, I went and had the conversation and made sure he had informed consent and helped him figure out all the little things that it seemed like weren't weren't happening and he did do the procedure and I don't know if he wanted to do it or if he just felt like he had to so he tried everything but that's when he died within days of that procedure so whether that was a good idea and he would have had more time with his his newborn or not it 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 doesn't matter how it happened and there were a lot of days in Boston at the end so I was preparing for a baby I had no money no time 
for me, to be honest, I was getting ready to completely lose it. And in August, I remember laying down and feeling more grief than I'd ever come my whole life about anything. And I was pregnant, so I remember also feeling guilty. <laughs> I feel like... Right. <laughs> and then he died, and I hadn't had my baby yet. Okay, so I was supposed to be due September 19th, I think. Yeah, September 19th. Dad's birthday is the 25th. Jimmy went in emergently and clearly for his final time. And he looked at my dad and he said, I'm not dying on your birthday. And then he hung on for two days. And then he died. And I was getting more and more pregnant. And I'm now past my due date. My doctors are wondering, am I going to be able to get there? But you don't need to induce this and that. And we're working on schedules and times for that, which was not my birth plan or my preference, but it wasn't happening. And I went into Boston every day until the day he died. And then it, I, I saw him that night. I knew we all should have stayed if we wanted to be with him when he died. And we didn't. And he died. And everyone else went back in again that morning. And I just, I just said, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. And I went into my, I've got to have my baby. And then I still didn't. I don't remember how that went, to be honest. I must have for five days still not had a baby. And everyone was trying to plan services and this and that. And I'm sitting there. You've got to put it off. <laughs> I have mm -hmm. to have a baby. And I had to fight for that. That was maybe like the most invisible I felt through the whole thing. So I went into labor hours before my induction. And I had Gabriel. And I was in the hospital for two days. And... I was at my brother's services five days after his birth. I was swollen and I was in so much pain and I wasn't ready, but that's when it happened. And we had 300 people show up, family from everywhere, and a couple of days of all of that commotion. And then my sister went away for a month and I had just moved my practice across the country and built up enough momentum to pay for the basic things one needs in life. And so I went right back to work. I started phone consults two weeks later and I started working four weeks later. And then I got pregnant nine months after that and ended up in a postpartum depletion state. That's something I still struggle with up on mm -hmm. and off. And everyone else went back to their thing. And, you know, the pandemic happened, like a lot happened. This was 2017. Mm -hmm. So by the time my second baby came, the world changed. <laughs> yeah. That was a whole nother story <laughs> of health, what happened with family and, and our ability to be connected for certain times and things. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I know that was hard for you to share some of that. You hinted at it. It sounded like there was this anticipatory time where you knew and you were grieving. But I heard a hint of guilt with, during that period. Do you want to talk more about what that felt like as you were anticipating his death? After he died, I, I grew a lot, like in my practice and my doctorship. Mm -hmm. And I now do on the daily, easily, confidently, the things that he needed for me, the way that I, and from everything from my confidence in my consulting to my procedures, and he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of me doing anything that I could. Like he was willing to he just was open and had none of that stuff that's attached. And I, I didn't know how to manage that boundary. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was too much for me. Now I probably could. I could certainly 
get someone to supervise that at my clinic and set them up with a nurse and at least facilitate it in a way that makes a lot more sense. Then I really couldn't. And it there, there was that guilt. And then there was also that guilt of my beliefs and how I look at things are, I'm like my paradigm of all of this is quite, is just so different. And, but I, I, I was young in my doctorship of that, but I just didn't know how to navigate having such different feelings against such strong resistance, which is what I felt like I, I was up against. Really, I was so desperate for there to be a better solution or a better answer, but didn't really want to hear about that or commit. I don't know. There was so much fear mixed with it. It just made it really hard. So I, I did. I put everything on the table. I put all the things on the table. What I know now is I didn't do it early. I didn't, I wasn't clear in the way that I should have been clear about now that you got here, this is what you do. So you stay there. And I, I left that up to his team and that didn't happen. And that's, that's where a big part of my guilt came from because I missed that opportunity to do something he really wanted to do, which was just to maintain that state of health that he'd earned. And mm-hmm. then I also, I just have this philanthropic heart that never should have been about money. I hate that. I still, I hate that in my clinic. I hate mm-hmm. <laughs> One day I'm going to make my millions and it's all dollars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. How supported did you feel by your family as you were grieving either before his death or right, right after? Because I, I also heard you say you jumped right into work. Yeah. Before, I felt like there was support. It was really, but we were all really aware. All extremities of life were having like Carla and Jeff were having babies. Like just wonderful. And it was wonderful. And we spent a lot of time in, in the time after he passed. We were together a lot and we did support. And I did it. Did I feel that way? No, I still felt like I was supporting more than I was getting support. But I'm sure there was a lot of both. You know, I know that. I know that everyone's in, intentions were for that. My personal struggle was that I experienced at first, it looked like postpartum depression or anxiety or some blend of that. And it mm-hmm. really became a depletion. Like it makes sense that that happened to me. And I felt really, I felt really unsupported when that started happening to me. I couldn't quite communicate what I needed. And did I don't know if I didn't allow it or didn't ask for it or it wasn't available, to be honest. But now that I look back, but at the time it felt like it was being with So it, it did feel like the way that we'd come together to support Jimmy and Carla in their bringing of the baby and allowing him to go through the passing and all the things that happened. I just didn't get that same thing after and it I don't and I don't know what that was about that's about them or me mm-hmm. I, it's just that how it, it definitely felt like I was more alone than I starting from about 30 days after my son was born like my sister went forget where she went away from one and did her thing so she could do that and then get back to life and I felt like I I didn't get to do that at all I had a baby and then I had a month him that I was what would you have wanted to be different, reflecting back, or even then? I would have taken a year off. I would have been able to afford to take a year off and live on it. My husband just doesn't make as much money as I do, which is fine, but that was a reality. We couldn't afford to say that, though, because I'm also a doctor that has a beautiful practice now, and that would have completely changed the momentum and the trajectory. 
maybe I would have, I would have found someone to come live with me that could have helped us so that we could have had more space from the beginning to have time every day together. I'm still looking for that person. Like it's, we talk about mm-hmm. it all the time. That's probably the the thing that we should do is bring someone in to help us because there's a lot that been just put off. It's a five-year anniversary right now. This is a really tough time. It was the, yeah. the year for me with all of this and it, it's just noticeable. We still don't have a lot of space. We have two little ones, which is beautiful and all-consuming. And this this business that is also all-consuming. So to find space to do probably what we need to do, like I asked someone that could help more. Like it's just, I never really had that. Like my sister couldn't just come over and watch the kids for a few hours. My parents couldn't really do that either. It was, we didn't leave our kids with any, we didn't, we didn't have anyone to leave our kids with. And so I, I built more of the community, which happened through my work. <laughs> now I, I have more, more help that way. And I do have a nanny that comes a couple of days a week, but it was hard to find places to get support, even to talk about it. I still don't have that. Honestly, this is the second time I've ever tried to tell any part of this story out loud because I've been going through it and figuring it mm-hmm. out. It's, I don't, I don't share a whole lot about that stuff. I'm on like currently processing. So yes, some of that shows up because I am, I'm a pretty transparent person, but I also, it's oh. hard, it's just hard to even reconcile what it, you know, and bring it out. Yeah. A lot hasn't been said or talked about just reading your something I read that you read is like it felt like it normalized a few things that just been aware of been happening but I don't have friends I could talk about that with so yeah it is 80 to 80 percent of the world has siblings so this isn't a unique experience however there's not a lot of support and that's what I'm trying to build here yeah and this is the first start sharing your story probably giving you that outlet but what else would you one, even now that you, because it sounds like you've held on to a lot of that and not had even support from the people that are closest to you. Yeah. And I suppose some of it is as it comes out, I get really afraid I'm going to step on the toes of somebody else's process or grief in the family. So some of it feels like, it sounds silly to say it this way, but maybe an embarrassment of the expression or something like it's just, yeah, a community space where it's sort of like some of the other group experiences. It, it, when you're with a group that's like minded and that has a shared experience that way or a shared goal, it does get easier to open up and be vulnerable without that mm-hmm. And there's more purpose to it. Yeah, there's probably a lot of places that I could reach out and share and talk, but I, 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 I don't know that I've found those communities. So I, I love the idea of a community space, something where that's what we're all we come together on is is this shared experience. And that's the that's a bond with the family. It's a little different. We we do have this shared loss, but our experiences of that loss are so unique. It's hard for us to talk right. about that. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. your roles and your relationships with him are all very different. Yes. Um yes. that's the core of what I'm trying to create as a community. So hopefully keep you posted on that you have another sibling have you you said your experience has been very different than hers do you want to talk about that at all yeah at first we we were really pretty connected and pretty open about it all and we'd come together when one of us needed that and 
And then with the pandemic and some of the distancing there, I felt like we as a family are really hard time coming together. Like there was something that everyone always told me I was the heart because I've left a couple of times. I did university in Colorado. I, I've moved around a little bit. But when Jimmy died, it did feel like there was some piece of something like a glue, like a, there was something that wasn't, it was a little harder for us. And my sister has, her boundaries are different. She has, and her life is different. And when I was leaning into being really available, there was just like, it was, oh, it's three hour visits once a month or whatever. There wasn't like, I, I wanted to go from the space that we'd been in before Jimmy died, where we were all there. We all did whatever we want. Jimmy could call me at eight o'clock in the morning and I would cancel 10 appointments if I had to and reschedule and be with him. And then none of that transferred forward. <laughs> I just went back to that like way people usually are. And in and, and a time for me when I really, really, really needed someone to be there that way for me. And like to not get that, I think, and then to be in the depletion state, I had a problem with everybody for a long time to the mm-hmm. point that I almost burned those relationships up. I ended up estranged from her last year and didn't take my family to Thanksgiving. We had a huge thing over it. We got in our first fight ever. I've never exchanged words with her that way. And it was terrible. And then we had months of trying to figure out how to even recover it. And I don't know that it'll ever really be the same. And again, this mm-hmm. is the first time I'm saying that out loud, but something about it, it just, we didn't come to, to, together to, and I, I don't know, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's just, again, mm-hmm. about me and my journey and about what I went through and how that affected my experience of the first five years after his loss, or if that's something more connected to the world, the events or other things that I'm sure it's all part of it. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm in a very, very, it, it, it's very different. And I, I miss my brother. Yeah. I think I miss that. Like we were really good friends as kids. We were friends, mm-hmm. friends as young adults. We had, oh, he and my, our my relationship with my sister for both of us was always a little bit different. And she just has different boundaries than we do. And it's just different. So the dynamic has changed. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel supported now in the current day? I'm working on it. No, but I have lots of people <laughs> who are keeping me accountable to working on it. <laughs> yeah, working on it. I'm yeah. my business is growing and my my work here is a little bit bigger than what I'm doing right now. And so I'm mm-hmm. really focused on that. And because of what it was like for me during the acute phases of grief and the very beginning of building my practice, I, I don't want to say it this way, but I'm going to because it's just not coming out. I, I lost a lot of my kids. And mm-hmm. had a lot of hard times. And I'm now not that woman. I'm much stronger and I'm much more clear. And I'm, yes, I'm still processing. Just doing this podcast was today. I, I had a whole lot of different feelings come up in the hours before. <laughs> and I didn't expect that. And then I, of course, I'm like, oh, that, of course that happens. But mm-hmm. It still hits me like a tidal wave, like it did when he was first when you first left. But I'm doing better at recognizing where I need to depend on myself and where I need to invite support into my life. So I have a a huge amount of support compared to two years ago, a huge amount of support compared to even a year ago. And I'm always putting that out there now. I'm over the feeling like I need to do it all myself and just just Mm -hmm. trying to find the right 
places to allow people to help. And that's a journey, right? So things are things are a lot better than they were three years ago. And, <laughs> of course, you know, it is, but it's, it's ongoing. Yeah. Well, and you know that anniversaries are. First, you know that I'm a psychologist, so of course I'm going to ask a couple questions about that. But we know that anniversaries of grief and loss are harder. With us being the fifth one, you did mention that's. Yeah. So I, I know, and have that that thing that is I I want to resist that. Like I want that not to be true. <laughs> yeah. I'll deal with it. So how do you prepare <laughs> as like they'd be like, so are we gonna talk about the fact <laughs> in five years? <laughs> it's been five years. And it mm-hmm. yeah, it's really big. And it's been really big. And I've been it's it's been really, really big. Do you mark the anniversary in a we certain do. way? We do. We go so when he was dying, he wanted to go to the mountains and he didn't want to spend his time. So he would check himself out against medical advice when he felt like it. And his nurses were quite supportive of that because everyone knew he was dying. He had to do all the things he wanted to do. And we all did as much of that as possible. Going up north, it's a two, three hour drive. It was very hard. He's really sick, but we did it and we'd all figure that out. And I, I again, I, I was taking days off the books constantly. I'm accommodating as much as I can. And I'm pregnant. I'm very, very pregnant. And pregnancy was not good for me. I was very sick, all kinds of things. So I did as much of that as possible. But I didn't do this one trip. The last trip he did, it was in Septera. It must have been the big, a couple of weeks before he died. And everyone else went and they all got a big hotel. And it's a big deal. My dad never leaves the house ever for anything, even a wedding. <laughs> and he did it. And they all have this memory. And so the next year, we started a tradition that we all go up and get a place and stay and do this river thing. And my sister hasn't participated, but his fiance and his little girl go up and my husband and my family, we go up and my mother goes up and my dad doesn't usually do it, but it's at least the four of us that we do. And we, we, we get a really nice Airbnb up in like Waterville Valley and we do mining one day. And then we go to the Kankamangas to one of his like favorite spots and have a river day. And so we, we put lots of his stones and pictures out. And he was an artist and a crafter. So we bring all kinds of things and let the kids play with stuff and have a couple of really nice days up there and do really beautiful sit by the pool and let the kids play. And we, the three of my mom, Carla and I have just come to love it. So that this year I, I got a really nice place and we're, we're doing that at the end of the month. And I'm really excited about it. It sounds That's like the- a lovely tribute to him. Yeah. Yeah. Captures his essence in a lot of way from what you've said. So the psychologist question I have for you, I'm not going to do therapy, I promise. But the question I have is, did you seek counseling or support from a mental health professional? I did. I did. I was struggling and it mostly came out through the postpartum problems I was having and seeing my pediatrician and knowing I was not like I needed help coping. She recommended a social worker that was right there in the hospital. She, my pediatrician had had twins prematurely, same time I I had my son prematurely. We had a very good relationship. At any rate, I forget exactly when I brought her on board, but when things started to get really dark for me and I wasn't coping, I did start to see someone. I saw her a lot. There was one point when I did need a prescriber and she was wonderful at just helping me bridge to that and get over any shame or guilt around needing something to get through a time that was extremely hard. It was when I was also expanding my practice. I took off 2,000 square feet and started hiring and it was a really big growth. 
time and I was in a really bad place and it was really hard to make risky decisions in the space I was in. So I did accept some help from a prescriber for a, a short time and did things that weren't meant to be long-term or forever and, and in a way that worked for me. And I got, mm-hmm. I was really blessed that the prescriber was willing to work with me in a really natural way. And some of the things I, I did through really high dose nutritional IV that was very targeted to accommodate treatment in ways that we differed in what the solution should be. And that was agreed. Mm-hmm. And then I had a nurse supervise it. And that was a good solution. And it was supported by a provider, which I liked. I don't love to doctor myself, but I, right. I do like to do things without medications that aren't needed. And, and then it's just been a journey since then. Right now, I'm not in weekly counseling, but on and off, like I, I know that's there. And my husband and I have someone we work with as well that is there for either of us individually or together. We know we need to do more of that. He and I have had a very hard time establishing and renegotiating since these changes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for like, sure. Life, it's just changed. Yeah. And it, we're not quite the same people on this side of it. And so we we do feel that. Like, we don't know exactly how to do that, but we're looking for the right person to because we, we if that happens, we'll probably be in a much better place. And we that know sense. that this has affected us in ways we haven't really had support to correct. Do you feel that your providers understood sibling loss? Not really. Not really. So I thought you were going to say. No, I had to go to actually, and I didn't mention this part, but I, I acutely went on a sort of, wasn't my pediatrician, it was my OB sent me to someone and she, she completely misunderstood what was going on. And I have a doctorate. Mm-hmm. I'm not an idiot when it comes to all this stuff. So I, I recognized right away it wasn't going to be a good fit. And I went to three appointments and it, it, honestly, at the time I was in such a fragile place. I felt like it did more harm than good. That's another thing with this project you're doing that is so needed is that there was no bridge or understanding or anyone to properly case manage or triage what was going on for me, even though, Mm -hmm. and I honestly, I felt mad at my husband for a lot. I'm like, look, everyone kind of knew I lost like my, my brother, the, the week I had the baby and they were aware of that. And I did have a doctor reach out and say, how you doing one time? But to be honest, there was this part of me that felt so stuck behind the curtain in, in a place I couldn't get out of. And I felt like, how was there no one for him to call? How was there no you? And, and I don't mean to say it that way because it wasn't his job to do that. But it, it also felt like, I don't know, we just, it, you know, we, we probably could have figured a lot more out if we did have support that was more targeted for our situation and had mm-hmm. a place that, to point to. I, I just, I don't think everyone understands. So I got to someone good. My, the provider that knew me best, who was my pediatrician, helped me find the right person. But it, I might not have gone back. I had such a bad experience the first time. Mm-hmm. She didn't right. have a piece for what I was going through. And it was, that made it worse, to be honest. Right. Your situation is probably more complicated because you, it sounds like had postpartum depression and depletion on top of grief and loss right. and guilt. So is there anything that I didn't ask you about or that we didn't talk about that you want, wanted to share or comment on? The only thing that comes up is just, you asked me about the guilt earlier. And he has a little girl now who's five. We didn't do videos for her because of that denial that he was dying Mm -hmm. and whatever else kept us from doing that. I do that for my kids. I, every week I make a video. Just started that this quarter, but it's been really nice. I was Mm -hmm. at the beach yesterday. 
I took a nice video of them and I just told them a story about her sort of something about her life. And I guess I, I also had some questions for him. Not everybody gets time for that kind of thing. I think, I think your brother was taken very quickly, if I remember correctly, but he was, yeah. I did have time. So there's, I have guilt around that. Like I did have time and I didn't ask him all that. My sister too, one day she, within a few months of him dying, asked, called us all emergently. Like, please, can we all get together? I'm having a really hard time. We all got together. And it was about that. It was like, I didn't, I didn't say or ask the things I needed to say or ask. And we also will do it now anyways, just talk to him. But that was something I meant. I, I missed. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't right to ask what I wanted to ask, but I, there are lingering things that I didn't, I didn't resolve. Sounds like that's a lot of regret. Yeah. Yeah. The addiction there, it took a lot of years in counseling to get through that. Like it's a lot of my counseling in my twenties was reconciling a lot of the things we went through with Jimmy during his years when he was in mm-hmm. trouble and how I reacted and responded to that. I went through years of my life where I overgifted him like obsessively. I couldn't help it. <laughs> like how it manifested. <laughs> For a couple of years of counseling, I let that go one day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Someone asked a really good question. I don't remember. Fair. Let's end on a different note. I wonder if you wanted to share your favorite memory of Jimmy. Mm. That's a great question. Favorite moment of Jimmy. When we were little, we played in the woods all the time. And we always lived on expansive properties with a lot of acreage around. So it's usually a pond somewhere. We would muck around the ponds and we collected all these cinder blocks. And next to the pond made like a cinder block tower with little cubbies. And we would collect treasure from the woods and put different little fungus and funny little things he'd find in the cubbies. And we, we'd set up shop and we'd play entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> my family, my, both my parents own businesses. So I guess that was like a thing from the, you know, whatever. And uh, I just remember tromping through the woods with him, finding these really cool mushrooms that, you know, you, it, just little funny things like that. But just those, there's one day and specifically, I remember we were just out there and that's a really good memory. Sounds lovely. Thank you for sharing and for helping me start on this journey. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme song was written by Joe Millwood and Brian Dean and was performed by Joe Millwood. If you would like more information on The Broken Pack, go to our website, thebrokenpack.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter, Wild Grief, to learn about opportunities and receive exclusive information and grieving tips for subscribers. Information on that, our social media, and on our guests can be found in the show notes wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, subscribe, and share. Thanks again. You're second guessing, or you never know, you just never know.